Hello, and welcome to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Our podcast series is designed to educate, challenge, and inspire listeners while keeping you updated on developments regarding modern trust law and powerful planning opportunities available, all in an effort to deliver direction and control to clients and their advisors. Hello, everybody. This is David Warren, uh, co-founder and chairman of the board of Bridger Trust Company, here with another episode of our podcast series, uh, which has really become pretty popular around the world. Uh, people reference it, and uh, I think it's because of the quality of the speakers and the guests that we uh, are able to attract, and, and today is absolutely no exception. Uh, I have been wanting to interview Gerald DeCrawl for a long time, and I am uh, thrilled that she is with us today. Uh Geralda is a tremendous uh, trust uh, and planning professional. Um, she's been in the industry over 19 years and um, has a similar passion uh, that we do at Bridgeford and that I do for sure, which is how I think we connected and work and why we work so well together around uh, asset protection and succession planning. And um, and she's been doing it uh, so successfully uh, now with her new company. And we're going to talk about that. Well, I guess it's not so new anymore, but I, I, I was intrigued to watch uh, Geralda make the transition from big uh, international trust company into a, a business owner because I kind of made the same transition myself with Bridgeford. So it was, it was great to see Geralda's success and anxious to hear more about her thoughts on why she started UMA, but a little bit about Geralda and how impressive she is. Uh, she has a bachelor's degree, business and administration from uh, business administration from uh, Fagler College in Florida, a master's uh, international management from Oxford Brookes University in the United Kingdom, and also has an LLM in international taxation. And uh, so, and of course, very active in STEP as well, and is TEP qualified. You know, we've had the pleasure to be working directly with Uma and particularly with Geralda. And, and I can tell you, she's an absolute force of nature. And what surprises me uh, so much every time, and I guess it should stop surprising me, is each time we have an opportunity to talk to a, to a mutual client, um, just how much the client relies on Geralda's wisdom and guidance. And she's really done an amazing job, not just being a planner, but being really a partner with her clients. And so with that, Geralda, it is great to have you here. Thank you for, for joining our podcast series. Thank you, David, uh, for the wonderful introduction. I have nothing else to add. No, uh, so thank you for having me and um, um, for the wonderful Perfect. introduction to your team as well and your network. Thank you. So, Gerald, I have, I'm so intrigued. You know, why don't we start from, from the beginning of UMA, if you don't mind? I mean, you, you've had an extremely successful career at Amacorp for so many years um, and even before that. But talk to me a little bit about um, your, your, I guess, first, your, your illustrious career. And then what made you start UMA? Because that's a big jump, just as it was for me to start Bridgeford. And I'm just intrigued to hear what was going through your mind when you did that. Um, I think... Um, for me, very, very important was the aftermath of the Panama Papers, which uh, really went hand in hand with the introduction of CRS, the Common Reporting Standards, uh, which were introduced uh, or recommended by the OECD. And really, at the time, we were, well, take you back to 2016. Uh, you know, when those common reporting standards were introduced, I think there were a lot of people that were very skeptical that um, different countries would introduce these rules at all, uh, let alone that people would follow them. 
And the Panama Papers really changed the whole mindset of people. And as we got to over 100 countries committing to automatically report data, right, uh, mm-hmm. on their clients, and now we're not talking anymore about uh, banks as financial institutions, which was more the classification under FATCA, but now we're talking about uh, fiduciaries and trust companies being mm-hmm. a financial institution. Um There was a lot of turmoil in in the market. Uh, For me, when I started, and at the time I was the global head of private clients for Amicorp, to start building programs to, A, not just educate the clients and the other stakeholders that service the clients, but also your own people, right, Mm -hmm. your own staff, was a very, very big undertaking. And I have to commend Amicorp for really investing a lot of time and manpower in wanting to educate staff. Um, And I spent uh, quite quite a lot of time traveling around to different offices and holding speeches about the um, regulatory environments uh, that our clients operate in and why we should care as a trust Mm -hmm. company Um, and you know what is really a client who's following all the rules in his own country and which one is a client which is not following the rules now we are starting to go into a very complicated um, matter because you can have different clients having an offshore company or having Mm -hmm. a trust and they can be from the same country and they can be operating and using that structure uh, for the same reasons, it's just that one is actually reporting and um, fulfilling its obligations in his home country, and the other one is not. And so, how so? So how do you how do you supervise this or control this as a trustee or a fiduciary sitting? somewhere else across uh, across the world. This was the complexity I saw in having very big trust companies where I think the relationship with the client and the service to the client is broken down into, broken up into different pieces. I, I love the distinction you're making. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there are people who, who use these um planning techniques for positive and there are those that don't. And I think what you're describing and laying out is really, really important. And I, I think a big a big connection point for you and I, because really the question is these, these families who are properly reporting and who properly want privacy and, and want um, legal tax planning should be able to, to get it, is what I'm hearing you say. So please continue. Yeah, so I think the... Um to me, to, to, to start UMA is to be able to really invest enough time in understanding, first of all, the family's needs. So, so what are they trying to achieve when they come to companies like ourselves or, or yours and they ask us to set up a, a trust or, or a vehicle for them, right? That's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that these families rely on us to ensure that in the jurisdiction that we operate, we we understand what the legal uh, obligations are. They rely on us for doing that. Mm-hmm. And a third of all, they rely on us to understand their regulatory and um, political environment as well. For that, you do need to have, you need to have time and B, you need to be interested, and C, you need to have qualified people. 
Mm-hmm. Well, talk, well, talk to me about that, if you don't mind. Talk to me about UMA and the qualified people you have, and, and its inception, and, and where you have your offices. I think it's intriguing what, what you've built so quickly. We started at, uh, our first office in 2018 in the UK. For us, uh, we had a nice group of people in the UK that uh, were wanting and willing to join us. And for us, the UK, the UK office is where we do a lot of the consultancy um, and advisory support we give our families. And I, I want to emphasize on the consultancy because very often before we even understand what the client needs, we need to invest time in investigating and studying what they already have. So what we see, especially for our clients who are predominantly Latin American, they are already structured one shape, way of form. And so very often they come to us and they ask us is what, what they have still fulfill their needs or still compliant. So for us okay. coming in from a cons- consultancy angle allows us to, to come in without already jumping to conclusion what the family needs. Uh, it allows us to also, if, if the task is, is done, right, we can also walk away from it and the client doesn't feel pressure that we're trying to sell them anything else other than our expertise and our hours. Right. Um, and I love that. I love that. You remove the conflict of interest completely. That's fantastic. Uh, absolutely. For, for us, it made sense to, to have a trustee company within the group. Um, main reason is because if you do spend that amount of time understanding a family's uh, infrastructure and, and their needs, very often they will ask you to continue on in the relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. So being a trustee is 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 one of those key elements. Uh, whether they're they're the families that want you to take care of their private wealth or or their or their business, there's always some some need of. Uh, an, a vehicle that can implement governance, and we're very much about governance. And governance can be can be uh, instilled via trust. It can be via company or fund. But for us, we felt that the trust would be uh, a great vehicle, and we opted for Switzerland mm-hmm. um, simply because what what we love about Switzerland is the fact is the uh, access to um, to subject matter experts. And this is the great thing that we see not in many many other places in in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because Switzerland is a a financial jurisdiction, as much as the US as well, but Switzerland is quite concentrated. It it means that there's a high level of service, a high level of how to treat clients of of a certain background. Uh, You have art specialists, watch specialists, private equity specialists. So for us, it's also an added value that when uh, we service our families, that we have access to these experts uh, on their behalf as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we set up the trust company in 2019. Um, We also have a, a second office in Switzerland. Uh, in Canton Suites, it's where we do the fiduciary and, and corporate um, business for our clients. Uh, we set up our Luxembourg office mm-hmm. last year. Uh, we have a lot of families that like to um, structure themselves and, and their governance amongst how they are co-investing, not via trust, but maybe via a, a private label fund. And yes. so for us, Switzerland made, um, Luxembourg made af- absolutely sense um, to, to have an office there. So we have a full-fledged team there. And uh, we incorporated this year Cyprus as well as our back office. 
for doing bookkeeping and other administrative support services. That's uh, so, so that's us. We're five offices. We're 23 people in total. Um, we don't want to grow out of proportion and we don't want to be big. What we want to be is boutique because it allows us to be involved with our families, which I think is that thing that is missing nowadays in the industry. Um, and humanly, there's only so many relationships you can be involved with um, on, a, on a regular basis. So for us, mm -hmm. as long as we understand what our, fa our families rely on us, uh, they rely on the team. Um, and I think for us, it's more to grow with, with the families um, that we service uh, more than growing in volumes of trust or entities mm -hmm. is um, our, our main vision for us. We're, well, very similar to Bridgeford. We're, we're, that's exactly how we look at it as well. We never intended to be a, a gigantic uh, shop with thousands and thousands of trusts. <clears throat> and I think we're so perfectly aligned in that respect. And, and frankly, it's maybe, you know, what's being lost in our industry to a certain degree is you have these mega gigantic international trust companies or in some of those, of course, the United States as well. And, and they become almost like factories and the boutique nature is gone. Um, so I love that you're, uh, you're focused on keeping that boutique high touch, approach because i think that's something our industry is lacking sadly. I, I think especially when you're dealing with private with uh, private clients so i think mm -hmm. the consolidation that we see in the business i'm i'm sure that for uh, typical fiduciary services um there is something to be said for economies of skills obviously um our business is being is becoming more regulated as well. And the same thing that you see with the banks, mm -hmm. the the cost of increased in compliance. Uh, at the end, it's you cannot always offset it to the clients. So us trust companies, and fiduciary companies, we are absorbing uh, quite a large portion of the bill. But mm -hmm. um, we can't lose focus on, on what our business, the private client's business, is all about. We service families and we ensure that their needs um, are fulfilled and that their assets are protected and that um, all of this is done in compliance with a certain set of rules. Right. And for that, you can't be selling 300, 400 entities per per week or per month, it simply is not humanly possible um, right. with or without automation. Um, so definitely, I, I think that um, being our size, David, is probably uh, best served for our clients. Yes. No, I, I totally agree. And let's talk about what you do for your clients. You know, another sort of common theme, I think, for you and I both and both of our companies is that we pretty passionately believe that, that that families are entitled to, I mentioned earlier, asset protection and privacy and the ability to have you know, a lot of control over their entities, wherever they may be, Switzerland, South Dakota, wherever, Luxembourg. And, you know, we, we, we live through together, not only the Panama Papers, but really the, the Pandora Papers, the most recent, I guess, data leak, that really put a negative spin on our industry and, and painted us, frankly, the industry and you and me and our companies almost like villains for working with wealthy families and, and helping them follow the law and helping them achieve asset protection and privacy. And, and I was a, a bit surprised by, certainly by the way South Dakota uh, was, was cast in such a negative light. But I love your thought on it um, and thoughts on this, you know, looking at it from the European perspective 
and how how it was received there and 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 what how that shaped your business um absolutely it's the same over at this side of the world um definitely we went from a profession which was simply not understood or no one paid attention to 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 uh, something that has been typified in the media as something very negative, us and uh, also the whole private banking industry. So for me, Panama Papers, although it was a shock um, for all of us, purely because we are used to work in a very confidential and discreet manner um, with our clients' data, it wasn't that much of a surprise because, of course, Living in Switzerland, as I am since 2008, I've already uh, passed through the 2008 financial crisis that we had here in Switzerland. So the whole clean up and regularization, which, which kind of led to uh, shaming and naming of wealthy individuals who mm-hmm. had offshore accounts, that already stopped, started happening here around 2008. That's a, that's a good point. So it wasn't so unrealistic that at some point, they would come to the to the fiduciaries and to the trustees mm-hmm. for the same reasons. Um, I think what you see, so Panama Paper was more of a shock and, and horror and everything in between, including the, uh, the Bahamas leaks, the Canadian leaks, and over here we had Barbados leaks and Malta leaks. There's all kinds of things that we've had here. When it came to the Pandora Leaks. I would say that a lot of Europeans were already better positioned mm-hmm. in answering back and telling the media that, yes, they are structured, but they haven't broken the law. Right. And that's already the attitude of, of a family who has gotten proper advice and has prepared for the eventuality of um of being exposed. And I think that's now what, what you see. And that's also how we speak to our families that obviously our families, whether they obviously we always recommend and we always insist that things are done in a compliant way. But even so very often these families look for confidentiality because of the size that they have or the reputation that they have in their in their country. Mm-hmm. And for those families, it's always important to tell them that they always need to be prepared for the fact that some of these uh, elements that they have, whether it's tr- via trust or via an offshore account or anything really, that this can be exposed and how to, how to deal with that. And yeah. um, just to make sure that everything is in order. Yeah. If you're asking me how does Europe look at uh, at um, tax planning, it still has a negative um, uh, a negative uh, view, David. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is just that the the well, the families themselves they've they've passed on, or it, and those families who truly truly need uh, these solutions instructions to to resolve their family affairs or the business affairs they um they they stick. They stick to the to the industry and um, they continue on using these mm-hmm. solutions. Um, well, they're legal. They're legal. They're that's legal. the point. They're legal, and I think that's the that's the misnomer. I mean, I could tell you, <laughs> South Dakota did not have the experience of these leaks, and um, and they you know it took a while, I think, for for the regulators and trust companies to get find their voice and push back on on the Pandora Papers. 
and your history of, of how Europeans have gotten used to these leagues and how to position and to be prepared for them it actually makes a lot of sense. I haven't thought of, about that. So even though, even still, though, you're saying there's negative connotation uh, around wealthy families who are following legal means of privacy, asset protection, and tax planning. You still run into that. Yes, it's it's all about the people because obviously, and and this was. Um Quite interesting. I I think this was around 2017. It was a very big article. I think it was the finance, the UK Financial Times, or it was the Economist. It was one of of those papers, whereby a, a British reporter had pointed out that it's so unfair that the people who are the most wealthiest are the only ones who would have access to a wealth planner or to a tax advisor, allowing them to pay even less taxes than the average midcome family. That's really where it comes down to, right? Is mm-hmm. that having a fabulous trustee or a very knowledgeable wealth planner or tax advisor requires to have money in the first place. And I think that's where the, um, I would say, the bad reputation comes from. Um, which, which, in a sense, that's that's true, right? Um, but then, if you go across many, many different industries, um, then you will find the same, mm-hmm. right? So it's quite kind of unfair to typify what is the 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 tax planning industry or the fiduciary asset protection industry. As is with private banking, because in my opinion, this all falls in the same category, mm-hmm. um, and that's something. Unfortunately, we're we, we can't change. Um, now, with that comes David also knowing something about what we do, but mm-hmm. not knowing everything. Is of course that there is a, a percentage of the population out there who does not understand that what we do is legal. Right. And it's sometimes very difficult to explain um, your neighbor uh, who's not from our business what it is that we do for a living. It's very right. difficult. I agree. Um, I, I agree completely. Well, and if I could jump in too and have you comment on this piece of it, you know, not only is it legal, not only, as I have said and often when I present, it's also very noble work, I think, what we're doing. Uh, not at all criminal or sinister, but you know there are regimes. And maybe that's the wrong word. I'll, I'll use regimes for now that are ensuring that we're not doing nefarious activity with wealthy families, right? I mean, that's what CRS is all about. That's what um, FATCA is all about. Um, that's what the new uh, common reporting standards all about. This world that we're living in has become very transparent. For the reasons that we've discussed, nobody wants to work with a nefarious family, um, nor Uma nor Bridgeford for sure. And so talk to me about that. I mean, you've witnessed the sort of proliferation over the last 19, 20 years of various reporting regimes, which by and large are designed to protect the industry, which is, again, uh, creating a transparent world that we operate, which is supposed to be a good thing, and I think is a good thing generally. What are your thoughts on that? No, absolutely. Uh, for starters, as you know, our trust company is in Switzerland, uh, so we are participant of the Common Reporting Standards and of FATCA. Uh, every year, uh, we send uh, information to the respective beneficial owners country. If it's not us, it's the financial institutions that uh, hold the the assets. 
uh, we're also regulated uh, mm -hmm. for anti-money laundering purposes in Switzerland, and we will become uh, we will have our trust license uh, granted by the Finma, which is the banking authority or the financial authorities in Switzerland, just to to onboard a client in our trust company. It's uh, uh, quite an interesting task. It's uh, <laughs> a nice I way mean, of putting that. <laughs> yes, I mean, we don't only need to identify the individual who settles the trust. We really go and do a whole background tack of how this person or this family came into wealth. And we really go through the chronological history of this family. And we map out actually the AUM values mm -hmm. of the families and of the assets going into to trust. And our families are absolutely okay with that. So mm -hmm. by now we are operating same as the banks. We need right. to ask the same questions. Um, and I think this is the interesting part that a lot of uh, clients don't see that in the end, many wealthy families, they're wealthy because they run a successful business and they want to continue um, running that successful business or they want to continue being invested with reputable first-class institutions. Mm -hmm. And they have absolutely no problem in sharing that data with the right fiduciary or with the right trustee. Sure. And they feel comfort with the fact that we ask this detail of questions because they know that we ask the same questions to other clients as right. well. Right. Um, so, so absolutely, David, I, I think um, what you see as well, and this is what I often tell clients also who are worried about these data leaks, um, and they ask, okay, well, what, what are the chances that Bridgeport is being hacked or Oma is being hacked? How secure are you with our mm -hmm. data? Mm -hmm. And I often tell them, well, how secure are you with your Hotmail account that you use to <laughs> write all your bankers? And how's your your son dealing with his Instagram account? And very Great often uh, what you see is the smaller hacks. They, they, they are, it, it's the clients themselves. So it's extremely difficult. Yep difficult in today's era of uh, of digitalization. Mm -hmm. In the end, the mapping of who has got what and who's doing business with what is inevitable. Uh, whether, a, you make a great point. You make a great point. Yeah, please continue. So whether it, it's true leaks or not. And so uh, this is part of the education we give our families as well. A lot, a lot of Families come maybe from countries where the digitalization is not as advanced as we have over here. Uh, and they often don't realize how mapped out we are and that data is already being shared, not necessarily by governance, but by companies. Right. Right. Um, and um, they appreciate that, that education and for someone for taking the time out to explain this to them because this is valuable also not just for their private assets but for their business sure, uh, and for their protection. Um, so I, I think this is a, the, the, the stigma of we are doing things that uh, are illegal or are providing confidentiality. I think this is, will be a thing of the past anyway. Uh, with yeah. with the information exchange platforms that we have on everything that we do, I agree. And and you make a point I think that is really really worth hitting home. Um, 
for, for both of our businesses and in, in our whole industry. We are each highly, highly regulated. And, and that's, a, a you know, when we, when one of the things that offends me about the Pandora Papers is very little discussion is just how heavily regulated South Dakota trust companies are, how heavily regulated your company is. You, you spoke of KYC and, and, and the, the, it really is a burden on the client and on our companies to gather the information. It takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, but all of it is in an effort to protect the integrity of our industry. And, and again, something I think to be proud of. And, uh, but again, it's the idea that we are highly regulated and we have regulators to answer to. We don't always enjoy it, but they keep us, make, you know, they keep making sure that we're doing the right thing for our clients. And I'm glad you made that point. Let me ask you a question along those lines. You know, one of the biggest surprises to me is, you know, practiced law for years and got involved with Bridgeford and the trust industry in the United States was this sort of sudden shift in interest in the United States. Um, and maybe it wasn't sudden, but it seemed to be certainly dramatized over the last five, six, seven years. And, and newspapers like the New York Times and Wall Street Journal are referring to the United States as a tax haven, a privacy haven, and uh, as a protection haven. Talk to me about that, Gerald, and how uh, how that's evolved from a European perspective. And and frankly, were you surprised to see this evolution? Because I, you know, asset protection and privacy is was 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 not something the United States uh, was was a, was a destination for. I could remember that very clearly from my days in law school. So so give me your thoughts on that. Uh, this is of course a, a okay. This is of course a very complex question. However. I think I, I think the thing that people on this side of the world don't understand is how incredibly massive the United States is and how difficult it is to control things when you have different states who operate in different ways with different legislation. So uh, mm. I think that's the first thing to be, be said, right? And uh, it's undeniable fact that obviously it's easier today to set up a company in Delaware than it is probably anywhere in the point uh, at, at this point in time. But it's not done with an objective to attract offshore funds. It's mm -hmm. by design this way and, and, and created in a flexible way uh, to facilitate, I, I would say, just, just regular, regular business. Now, uh, I remember very well uh, around the time of the introduction of the common reporting standards that there was a big influx and interest for, for U.S. trust because of the mere fact that the U.S. had taken this particular approach against the automatic exchange of information. I would say that definitely um, put the trust business into popularity. Uh, but I would say that the second and third thing is, is because the U.S. at the end of the day is a safe jurisdiction. I think without that, uh, you could have the same type of parameters, but if it would be another unsafe jurisdiction, and I don't want to put put any country don't want to throw them under the bus, so I'll refrain from <laughs> giving politically incorrect uh, examples. But um, it would not have the same popularity if, if it would not be the U.S. because it symbolizes stability and security. So, so a lot of people flock to that as well. And and the third part is it's it's straightforward. That's I think that people on this part of the world maybe don't appreciate how complex at times um, 
Anglo-Saxon trust can be and has become, mm -hmm. and how very straightforward U.S. trusts still are. Now, I think there's why I see the problem. It, it, it's twofold. It's, it's, it's A, a lot of U.S. trustees who have never worked with non-U.S. settlers or beneficiaries and who are not picking up on the right questions to ask. And so very often you have clients coming in um, which, some, which do have some of a tax component or another type of competent, component which needs to be looked at uh, from their country's perspective and the trustee simply doesn't have the experience working with non-US clients. And they're too, they don't realize that this is relevant or B, they're too interested in getting the business. That's A. Um, and B, the uh, increase of non-US, let's say, non-US trust companies going to the US and setting up their South Dakota trust, which actually don't have any people on payroll that truly understand the US compliance and regulatory environment. Mm-hmm. That's mm -hmm. a second risk. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. Which, which leads, I think, to a, a, an important uh, discussion that we should probably have about the Corporate Transparency Act. You know, I know there was a lot of um, criticism of the United States for not embracing the common reporting standard, CRS, and uh, continues to be, in fact. And I think that pressure has led to the uh, Corporate Transparency Act, which just has gone really, well, will go live in, a, in, in about a year, um, January 2024, and final regs were just uh, fun, uh, promulgated, and there's a lot of confusion around it for, for many, many months. But you know, some some look at the common or the Corporate Transparency Act as sort of the U.S.'s version of CRS, which is really not true. Um, so maybe we should define it briefly for the listeners because it's still a, a pretty new concept. So, um, Geraldo, can you speak a bit on on Corporate uh, Transparency Act, at least from the European perspective, and then? Maybe we can define it briefly and then explain what it's not, because it's certainly not the U.S. version of, of a CRS, primarily because it, there's no mandatory exchange of information with other other countries. But but, what, but please comment on it. So I, I for from our perspective, the Corporate Transparency Act is definitely, I mean, it's it's there where you finally see the U.S. asking not who is the controlling person or who is responsible for managing this U.S. entity, but who is the beneficial owner. So this is now a clear, clear typification, which what we have here on this side of the world, where we don't care who are the shareholders of the directors, but we want to understand who's the beneficial owner of those assets, mm -hmm. uh, which are held by that particular entity. And this, of course... Um, Although that information is not automatically exchanged, even today on the structures that we use, work with, and we deal with the concept of beneficial owners versus controlling persons all the time on this mm -hmm. side of the world because of the, the you know, our, our AML regulations and because of CRS and so mm -hmm. on, it's, it, you require a lot of data and information and much more in-depth understanding on who you're dealing with when you want to identify who is the beneficial owner. So this time it's not anymore uh, 
you saying, well, this is the person you need to contact if you would like to know what's going in and out of this entity is what we have with with um, the 50, 5472s. But this time you really need to pinpoint and say, well, this to me is the actual owner and originator of the mm-hmm. funds, uh, mm-hmm. which, which, which I helped a, in this entity. Which is information we've been gathering for years anyway. I mean, that's why I don't think this is very salacious, to be honest with you, right? I mean, we've, been, we've, we've had to gather this information for other reasons. Well, so now becomes an interesting question. Obviously, you as a trustee in South Dakota, you have probably different regulations, I would think, than, for example, the agent in Delaware or in Miami. So I, I guess probably from your point of view, You've got that data. Mm-hmm. The question would be under the Corporate Transparency Act, to what extent should you validate this data or, re- or receive supporting documents to ensure that what has been declared? That's a question mark. That's but a then, great question. Yep, but still what being about debated. that's yep. the, that? So that could be a, a game changer. And again, is it the end of the world? No, because we are here seven years on. Or, or six years on, and yes, that means that we get a lot of less, a lot less business. But the clients who are willing to share this are the clients you want to keep, and the people Absolutely. you want to service. Absolutely. Um, so this is definitely not the end of the of the line. No, not at all. And it's I'm glad you said that. I mean, it, it, there's still some complexity around who is ultimately responsible for gathering and reporting the information. It's, it's still a bit unclear. I, I think the, the idea in the United States is that it's not the trust company. It's actually the, the underlying entity managers who have to do it. But that's to be worked out, I'm sure, before it goes actually live. Um, but no, I don't think it's the end of the world either. In fact, we you know we work with lots of international families, as you, as you know, and there was a lot of panic about this. And I, I think at the end of the day, once everybody finally comes to understand the final regulations, it is certainly not uh, – uh, uh, creating a, a transparency situation where where international families have to be concerned about coming to the United States. I mean, this information is already being gathered. Uh, the United States and has, or the regulations very clear about where this information goes, and it's not shared with other countries at the moment. I don't think that's ever the expectation of it, and it's highly protected. So, to your point, not only is it not the end of the world, I don't think it's going to have much of an impact or even change the idea that the United States is is. Uh, one of the stronger jurisdictions for trust planning. So I'm glad, glad you made that point. No, I definitely not in 2023. Like I said, it's, I, I don't know if it's a combination between immunity against all the leaks that have, and I mean, they were data theft, leaks, hacks. I mean, you yeah. name it, right? Um, it's a combination between that and the new generation that is coming in, who is actually kind of used to being exposed one way or another. Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, I can't imagine Bridgeford asking any any additional information than what the U.S. banks or banks of Bahamas are asking. They have exactly the same information. Yeah, and and it's and it's streamlined. I'll just comment. And you know, there's been, at least in South Dakota, I know there's been a, a real push to make sure all the trust companies are are asking for the same thing um, when. When I first, when Bridgeford first kind of jumped into the international arena, we had this problem where another South Dakota trust company was not asking for as much information as Bridgeford was, for example, and I won't name names. And so advisors and lawyers from around the world were, were going to that trust company instead of Bridgeford because the perception is we were too hard to deal with when, in fact, we were just trying to protect the industry and our trust charters. So there was a move in South Dakota and I think in other states, too, to, to, to make everybody follow the same rules. So, for example, we just came through a regulatory exam 
And, you know, the division of banking who regulates us pretty highly was, you know, they want to make sure that we have the 10 or 12 provisions that we're supposed to, we're all supposed to have in South Dakota to sort of equal the playing field and make sure that we're all protecting the industry. So you, you make a, a great point. I mean, I think at the end of the day, worldwide, we all should be asking for the same information, maintaining the same uh, data and documentation and, and do the best we can to protect it from leaks. That's, I think it's the best we can do. Absolutely. I do think that's important to, um, and I think it's everybody's responsibility to ensure that uh, everybody in the industry um, keeps to the rules. Right. Um, you, you've seen, David, how damaging bad reputation is when you go abroad and you go to, for example, Latin America, and um, people just make changes because they've heard something from someone. Um, and, and that's of course, uh, that's of course, uh, l- l- lamentable when you see that clients move, uh, and I've, I've seen clients, uh, I've seen, I've seen families who went from, uh, BVI to Bahamas to Cayman at the end, it's all a level playing field. And I think mm-hmm. this is the, the next message to, to, to relay to, to families is that some things are non-negotiable unless the OACD changes its thought on certain things. And I, I think transparency, it's, it's not just in our business, it's in everything that we do mm-hmm. or, or, or see. It's here mm-hmm. to stay. Yeah, um, and as long as the big organizations are enforcing that, you will see different versions of implementation of uh, UBO registries, which which really you, the corporate transparency act in the United States has some elements of right. more the UBO registry, I would say instead of C- CRS. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some phases here in Europe, that registry is absolutely open, right? Um, having said that, I have to say that the EU commissioner declared these UBO registries uh, illegal. Um, so that's that's a question mark, but 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 then think other things about substance, substance over form. Um, there's a bunch of rules there that are slowly being um, implemented. Dex six. We're now looking at Dex eight, which mm-hmm. basically comes down to the obligations of the lawyers and um, fiduciaries to report on third parties or clients. Um, engaging in aggressive tax planning or any tax or any planning for circumventing CRS. So it's, there's a lot of stuff going on here, right? Um, which is uh, attempting to regulate this this industry. Um, in the end, what we see as UMA, and you might think, well, how have you been able to thrive and build a business in the midst of mm-hmm. all of this? Exactly. Is because uh, our clients they are interested in being protected and to be able to to be running their business in this in this changing world and they 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 want to be ahead of the game they want to be involved with people who are well educated well informed who mm-hmm. are willing to engage with them in with an honest dialogue without being afraid of losing their business right um that's that's the that's the families you you would like to you would like to support of families who are not maybe there yet, but they want to learn. They want to understand. Right. right. 
Well, and what you've done with Uma, Geraldo, uh, you and your partners is, is amazing and has been really amazing to watch. And, you know, the ability that we've had to work uh, directly together with you and your team is, has been uh, also amazing. Um, your approach, and I, I joked earlier about you being a force in nature, but you, you really are um, in the way you, you approach the industry is, is so similar to how we approach it. And the collaboration is, is so much appreciated. And as is your time today, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us a little bit about your philosophy and, and UMA for sure. And for our listeners, please take a close look at at the website, which there'll be a link to, and and Geraldo's background. She, she really is a, a, in addition to being a force of nature, has a tremendous. She's a tremendous resource um, for families around the world. Uh, she and, and UMA and. And again, we're, we're thrilled to uh, to work. And and uh, as we as we uh, close, uh, Gerald, you had a pretty exciting announcement. I noticed uh, a couple of weeks ago about a, a new partnership and alliance that you're uh, that you've you've entered into. You want to want to share with our listeners what you're doing there? No, absolutely. Uh, no, we um, are in the process of setting up a new company in Switzerland called Sophos Advisors Switzerland. Sophos is already an insurance brokerage, I would say wealth planning uh, firm in based in Miami, not, not too far from, from your office, I would say, right. David. Mm-hmm. Right. And a couple two, blocks away. A <laughs> couple blocks away. And for us, it, we've been looking at the added value of insurance for quite some time. Um, a, because obviously it falls within the category of of succession planning and, and planning and, and asset protection, depending on how you you use the the policies, mm-hmm. and in many ways you see that the insurances is 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 something that families can capture and comprehend better than um, than maybe a, a trust. Right. And uh, but but the key is in understanding the different policies that are out there, and very often that requires uh, quite quite a lot of um, intelligence and experience. And so right. for us, in order to to enter into this 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 line of 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 servicing, we felt it was better to go in alliances with someone or or a firm that that already have the experience and the know how how to structure um, insurance policies. Right. No, um, I love it. For I love families. It. I completely agree. Yep, I completely agree with what, how you described the the value of insurance and, and congratulate you on the on the alliance and partnership. I think it's brilliant. And um, and not only is it is it um, something that can be used in juxtaposition to our trust, but also in conjunction with trust planning as well. We hold lots of these these types of policies and insurance uh, planning tools inside of trust. And so, congratulations on your innovation and your entrepreneurial approach and um, really on all your great success, Geralda, as I said, it's, it's been, been a pleasure to watch your company grow. And, you know, as somebody who started Bridgeford from scratch, I, I know the, the pain and, and uncertainty that comes with being a brand new business owner. And then also the, the feeling of uh, gratitude when success comes. And so congratulations on all of your great success. No, absolutely. And, and last, last but not least, I envision, um, now that the dust is settling uh, on the hype of U.S. trusts, right? Uh, I, I'm really looking forward to working with uh, subject matter experts such as yourself, David, and really start looking at some of the beauties that you have uh, with U.S. trusts, which you simply cannot resolve with Anglo-Saxon trust. A lot of our families, they have properties in the U.S., they have beneficiaries in the U.S., they have cars, um, 
they have assets and in many, many instances, um, you need a particular tailored, tailored, tailored type of trust to, to fulfill their needs. And I, I think uh, a lot of people don't realize that there's a lot of different things that, that you can do with US Trust that basically um, a lot of the international tax planning lawyers don't understand. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think we're still at the level where we're very de dependent on the international tax, tax lawyer in the UK or in, in Uruguay or in Argentina or in Mexico. And if that person does not fully comprehend um, the different um, options and setups of, of trust that we can do in the U.S. that the clients are not particularly exposed to it. But right. I think that's just something that, that will come as, uh, as, as U.S. trust becomes more established and people take more time in uh, understanding how it can be used for succession planning and asset protection. Yep. No, I agree. It's an education process, and, and I know you and I both are passionate about that, that part of what we do. So once again, Geraldo, thank you so much for, for sitting down with us today and uh, talking through some of these exciting topics in our industry. Um, again, for our listeners, I, I highly encourage you to, to check out Uma and check out Geraldo in particular and uh, call on her as a resource as needed. And Geraldo, thanks again. I wish you and your family a wonderful holiday season and uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much, David. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to Bridgeford Trust Company's Delivering Direction and Control podcast series. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep posted on when new episodes are added. And for more information, you can visit us online at bridgefordtrust.com.